There is no perfect pregnancy, birth, or parent. And yet we rarely hear the real stories. It's time we speak up. Mom, actress, and advocate Tatiana Ali hosts Unspoken Stories, a new podcast from March of Dimes featuring real stories from the joys of parenthood to what happens when things don't go according to plan. You can listen to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting unspokenstories.org. We see a lot of perfect images of pregnancy, birth, and parenting, but more and more people are standing up to tell their real stories. In this podcast, you will hear some of those real stories. From the joy of parenting and the complexities of dealing with illness with Atrix and mom, Jamie Lynn Sigler, a mom coping with loss and raising two toddlers, to the realities of parenting a baby born prematurely. These brave mom and dads have the courage to speak up and share their laughter, tears, and triumphs so that no one else has to feel alone in their experience. We hope you will join this important conversation. Whether you are a parent or considering becoming one, subscribe to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts and learn more by visiting unspokenstories.org. That's unspokenstories.org. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color. This is Danielle Jackson with you today. Laurel is on call for birth, and today's episode features Stephanie Mitchell, CNM, MSN, DMP, who goes by the IG handle Dr. Midwife. Stephanie Mitchell is an advanced practice certified nurse midwife and private practice in Providence, Rhode Island. When she's not busy supporting families, you can find her on social media, reflecting and speaking on the experiences of Black women in the maternal health system and the importance of being an advocate for her patients. She keeps it all the way real, and we are very excited to have her on the show today. Hello, Dr. Mitchell. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much, Danielle and Laurel, even though I know you're out there working um, in the birth world, the unpredictable birth world. But thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Now, Dr. Mitchell, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family? A, A little bit about myself and what was the last piece? And your family. Ah, and my family. Yes. Okay. So, uh, myself I mean you pretty much encapsulated it a little bit with the introduction because for for a lot of uh most intents and purposes I am or have been for the past several years you know ingrained in like education and trying to like um you know finish all of these educational requirements that that just has been my life um so you encapsulated that portion of it um, it's cause that's a lot of what, what it, what I've been in the last few years, but during that ride, uh, I've brought a few friends along. <laughs> so my partner, my husband, um, you know, he's been there since the, uh, the dawn of day for the past 18 years. And so he's got to see the evolution, um, of Stephanie and <laughs> as, as did, um, our children along that ride as well, Jasmine, who's, um, our oldest daughter, who's 21 years old, um, our 16-year-old daughter, our 11-year-old son, our 9-year-old son, um, came along for that journey. And <clears throat> along that process, you know, we evolve, we have experiences, and, uh, you know, they've kind of been along this life journey, living their own life journey as well, um, but always somewhat entrenched in, like, 
breath work, breath, breath justice, and just advocacy. So that's like my whole entire life. That's just what it is. <laughs> cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancies then? I so one or all of them? I think um, the inaugural uh, pregnancy is always um, pretty important in anyone's life because it's really kind of sets the tone for what is to be. And so for my uh, inaugural pregnancy experience, I happened to be 16 years old at the time. Um, I happened to be an 11th grader. Um, I happened to, because of my life experience, you know, having been raised in an environment which, if, I, if it had been today, would have been certainly deemed um, toxic and unhealthy and uh, um, where a child or children shouldn't be raised. Um, oh, hi, babe. <laughs> I feel like she feels my pain. No, the baby's... <laughs> I get it. I know the rough times. <laughs> and so, and so what I would say is like my inaugural experience, um, being that young, poor, black, uh, teenage pregnant person, uh, there's no way it could have been a positive one. <laughs> it's just, the stars were not aligned in, um, in Boston in the 1990s to provide uh, comprehensive care that encompassed all of the needs of someone who was of my making, te teenage, young, black, poor. So that was my inaugural experience. So um, physiologically, right, the, the, the pregnancy went along as... Uh, normal as I, it's all retrospective, but I'm assuming it went, it went normally. Um, I'm assuming based on, ret again, retrospectively, what I know about obstetrics, I probably presented um, for care somewhere around 18, 20 weeks or so. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I recall a lot of trauma related to that initial visit, like, oh shit, we have a pregnant teenager, you know, like it was just some emergency and I felt like very, uh, it, I was very much a specimen of the day. <laughs> so I right. felt at the time, um, retrospectively, I get a lot because I'm in that world to actually reflect on the bullshit that happened. I was like, oh. Oh, well, that was inappropriate. That was not right. necessary. Like, what right. you giving me a pelvic fucking exam for? Like, what was that about? Right. <laughs> unnecessary. I know now, unnecessary. Mm -hmm. But the pregnancy uh, went along as planned. Oh, I'm sorry about the baby ears too, because whew, sometimes my people aren't used to my spicy tongue. I don't apologize anymore. You're I just pull ahead. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, the pregnancy went along is fine. I had a I had a normal. Um, uh, spontaneous uh, start of labor. <coughs> uh, it lasted a very long time, Wednesday, Thursday, for about three days. What I know now, again, retrospectively, it was just like a prodromal labor. It was just like a prodromal labor, which was ridiculous. And <coughs> I also recall being in that hospital space of um, where the midwives and the doctors and all of these things and I'm looking and I'm feeling and I feel all the feels. I know that eventually I'm gonna come back into that space and I'm gonna be a provider in that space, I know that. Mm. And eventually I do, I actually do return to the scene of the crime and become a labor and delivery nurse at that particular facility and um, started my midwifery career at that same place. Um, 
But what I recall most about the entire experience was um, the feeling of being alone, feeling of not being able to ask questions, uh, you know, being mm -hmm. a specimen, a specimen. That's what it was. It was this, right. that's what it was. And I didn't have a lot of education around labor and birth and all of those things. Remind you, I'm an 11th grader. At the time, I was, you know, pulled out of the traditional high school and placed into a high school that was for young pregnant um, parents. Wow. And so it was bullshit, like, whatever. They didn't teach us shit. Like, we had pottery and fucking, like, no. <laughs> it could have been so much better. Like, y'all could have gave us, like, prenatal classes and, like, what to expect and breastfeed and stuff. It's right. just, like, oh, you just trying to pull the pregnant people out of the school so people don't come there and be like, oh, why are all these people pregnant? But they're not teaching us anything. They could have used that right. as an opportunity. But anyway, I got the boys, right? What's that? And they didn't send the boys, right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Why? What for? You know, like, why would they? Oh, shambles, shambles. I would have done so much with a program like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. I, I don't even know if that's still around, but right. Um, I digress. Remember how before I said, if I go off, you got to remind me, I got severe ADD. And I'm like, because my whole life is jam-packed with so much shit of that has brought me to this place and space that sometimes it's just like, no, I just want to share so much. I need to be like, listen, ladies, listen, I understand. I've been in all of these levels of, of, of life. I understand fully and completely, especially mm -hmm. now when we're looking around at like the black maternal uh, health crisis that we have right now and our women, our neighbors, my sister, you know, aunties, uh, you know, all are dying and are having these bad outcomes. I personally don't even need to flip through a Rolodex mentally to come up with four or five names of people who I know personally who have been affected um, with bad outcomes. Right. Okay. My classmates, my neighbors, my friends, you know what I'm saying? So this oh, yeah. work is more near and dear to me. Mm -hmm. That's why it's near and dear to me. The re reality is, Danielle, like, you asked me a question, I don't even know what you asked, but you see what I'm saying? This is all relevant. <laughs> this is all relevant to my we were, life. We were at the hospital. Oh, yeah. It was a long, it was a specimen. It was a long ass labor. Um, I was, I felt threatened with a C-section, like mm. not threatened, but like, okay, if your cervix isn't changed this time, what I understand now is that they weren't happy with the untraditional labor curve, you know, as a midwife now, I understand, I know what was happening. <laughs> the reality, the, the reality is like, the reality is you don't need to worry about whether I'm on some clock or algor algorithm to this day four children later, they look at me like, why you have not delivered this baby? I just have long labors. Leave me the hell alone. Get me off your clock. I don't care about your facts and statistics. My body does this slowly. That's right. just what it is. And I recall every subsequent pregnancy after that, like somebody looking at the clock, like, well, if you don't change your cervix by this time, I'm like, or you can leave me the fuck alone and my cervix will change when it's going to change. Right. So eventually, you know, the baby came out. <laughs> <laughs> what happened is I had a really great epidural and, um, and I fell asleep, uh, and I didn't know what to expect, but it was, the sleep was so welcome and so needed. I, I was not coping well. I was not coping well. I had no support. I came in labor really early, was sent home, you know, it, it I had no support. I had no support. It was torture. It was torture. I felt like I was being punished for being pregnant or being and I felt like I had to take that. I have. I felt like I had to take it. Like, like bitch, this is what you get. Yeah, that's what I felt like. Meanwhile, I was like 
death. It was like death. Mm. That's deep. I never really kind of, you don't really have to re- rehash these things, but ooh, child, bad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, the great, the epidural was amazing. I remember holding on to the nurse, trying to get this epidural. Think about my labor support was my sister, okay? I'm 16. She was 14. That's my labor support, my, six, my 14-year-old sister. That's what I get. She damn near passed out when I had to get the epidural. She was like, what the fuck? I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> that was my, that's what I got, you know. But I recall holding on to the nurse and getting the epidural. So scared, so unsure, so uncomfortable, so delusional, so tired. Um, I just remember her presence. Couldn't tell you what she looked like to this day. No, nothing. Well, not to this day, because I'll tell you what happened. Because later on, when I went and worked there, uh, I looked it up. Sure did. Went right in there. And it was a nurse that I worked with. And it's very much, it was very much, and I told her, she was young at the time. We were, the, we were like, she, w- she couldn't have been just like a new grad. We weren't that far in mm-hmm. age. And um, I don't remember her face. I didn't remember anything, but I remember that presence. Anyway, Jazz uh, came out. She, I, she was in the sheets. It was one of those, you ever heard baby in the bed? You ever mm-hmm. heard that? Yeah. That's an experience where a woman has a super heavy dense epidural and um, without realizing it, the baby's in the bed. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you're either alerted to it uh, by, <clears throat> if mom's on the monitor, you look at the baby's heart rate and suddenly it like disappears. Usually the nurse will go in and be like, what, is, what, you know? And then you go down and you look and you're like, oh shit, baby's in the bed. All right. <laughs> it happens. <All> right. <laughs> or sometimes women are, yeah, it totally happens. Or sometimes women or their partners are alerted to it because the woman might be like, oh, um, I feel some pressure. Can you look to see? And the partner might look back, the she- pull back the sheets and it's baby, hey, I need help babies in a bed so those are all my babies i've never had to put although my labors are long i've never pushed a baby out like i've oh. just kind of fall out so i don't know what that means but <laughs> but they just leave me alone let my body do what it's gonna do i know it's gonna take a long time leave me alone i'm not worried about your time your algorithm or none of that other stuff leave me alone and uh <clears throat> when you know i've never had to like push i didn't even know that was a thing all right so before you got to delivery and you were going through your labor, mm-hmm. as you were going through this pregnancy, being sent off to a different school, how did you actually prepare for the birth itself? Now you have to remember, this is 1998. We are so lucky, okay, that now we can literally pull up YouTube. And I routinely tell women who don't have the luxury and the privilege of heading to a birth class or their Bradley preparation method and all the mods and shit. Like they just trying to get through the damn day. Mm-hmm. I just tell them like, look, you got your phone right here. At least get on YouTube so you can know what to expect, what yeah. this is. Now I am a midwife. I can do so much, but I'm, a, I have a certain amount of time and I spend that time trying to guide you towards resources. Right. So for me, this is 1998. Right. I don't have none of that. Today's an appropriate day because it is Juneteenth 
And so when we think about the significance of that in terms of like information traveling, when we think about the actual Emancipation Proclamation, right, and the time that that occurred, and the time that it took for that news to get down to that last place in Texas, it wasn't no Instagram, iOS press release like, yo, no, nah, niggas is free. No, they had to go on feet and walk and, and, and make this happen. You know what right. I'm saying? The, the dissemination of information was years before that happened. Mm -hmm. And so um, in 1998, we didn't have any of that. My ladies and people I take care of are so lucky because they're, they're able to have that. I didn't have shit. I didn't have shit. Nothing. Nothing. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what, no nothing, nothing. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing more to say or my, or no. I didn't have 16 and pregnant. I was 16 and pregnant. I didn't have right. sh shit. What's your resources? The Encyclopedia Britannica? Because it's 1998. That's what we had. What is that? Oh, my God. And, and, I, and I knew that wasn't right. I knew that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. My mama didn't know. My mom, well, if my mama would have known shit and been talking to people, and been, I wouldn't have been pregnant in the first place. I'd have either been on some birth control or been whatever. So you know she was trying to, you know, she didn't, she did not have the mechanisms of which to, to educate me. She didn't teach right. us. My, my sister, we're one of six, you know, mm -hmm. my sister and I, she's younger than me. <clears throat> and I often tell like <clears throat> my sister, when she got her period, we together with our dumb asses. We're like, well, yeah, that's it, girl. Like, yeah, you dying. That's what's going on. Oh. We, we came to the consensus. Like, that's what was happening. I'm like, well, nice knowing you, kid. Like, <laughs> shit, we didn't know. We didn't know. I'm like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like we came from a, ter the, a difficult background. So there was no education from like a higher source, a Nana, an auntie, a mama, a grandmama. Nope. You just show up pregnant and you make the best of it. And you know, and that's what it is. Wow. It's just, how do you adjust? How do we adjust as women? We do it. How do we adjust as black people? We do it. Mm -hmm. We do it. There's no algorithm for this. Cause nobody's trying to help. Nobody's gonna necessarily be like, "Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta work hard for for every bit of anything you get in this world. You gotta work hard for it, including dignity, dignity, and education." Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, bull it's bullshit. Anyway, I don't even know the question, but I know I answered it in there somewhere. You Another question I'm thinking about it though is like you're in a school with other girls who are pregnant too. Did you guys talk with within yourselves about the pregnancies or was it just like this shame that nobody really even talked about it? There was a girl, nobody really talked. We got on the school bus. <clears throat> nobody really talked about it. There was a girl I went um, went to school with there at that school, the pregnant school, which was also a shelter. They had like a shelter downstairs for pregnant girls and their kids mm -hmm. and shit. But I remember she was younger than me. She was 14. Mind you, I had my baby in August. So I'm at the end of the school year. I'm kind of on the bigger side, about nearing the end of the pregnancy. And she was more pregnant than I was. And it was hot as hell. And she had on this uh, pleathery bubble jacket. Hot as shit. Hot as shit zipped up to here because of the shame and embarrassment. You know, because of the shame and embarrassment. I'm like, number one, it's hot as hell. It's June. Right. Okay. And and um, I remember she used to get off at uh, Roxbury Crossing, and it was just like, 
you so shameful of like your your of your state of being that you are like zipped up and that ain't comfortable like i don't you know what it's like for anybody who's been in the third trimester in in the deep summer months you're not putting a bubble coat on that's for sure <laughs> i say something you're just not doing it you know, so there was no, it's hard to have that camaraderie because you're not in an equal, you're not in a place and position in society where your voice matters. You're, you're not in that place. So who are you, who are you commiserating with? You know what I'm saying? We don't have, now, fortunately, you got at least like mom blogs and you know what I'm saying? Other people you can connect with on this basis. That's why I get out here and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not just out here talking shit. Like, listen, the connections we make with each other, the voices, the stories we share collectively, it's just not for nothing. It's not for nothing. We, we, it's for the betterment collectively. We need to talk about what's going on in healthcare. We need to talk about the things that are happening to us and our sisters you know, and our friends and our mamas and our aunties. Let's talk about it. It's not good. It's not good, the stuff that's happening, because there's not a lot of me sitting at that table. There's not a lot. They don't want us there for a reason. And my whole thing, like historically, just so y'all know, this is, you know, we don't do like, oh, and then the baby pushed out in the bathtub. This is all not roses and everything else. This is real shit. Mm -hmm. This is real shit, is that when birth was moved, okay, outside of the home, and brought into this institutional setting of the hospital, shit changed. Black women and, 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 and women in general did not have access to those granny midwives and women who took care of them for labor and birth. It was moved into the hospital and a normal physiologic process, a process that don't need no tampering with, was tried to be managed and medicalized. Mm -hmm. We're not sick. No. Birthing death. Not at all. And, and when hospitals tried to do that, you know, we started having a problem because number one, we're not seen the same way in that institutionalized setting. It's that same setting that used black women's bodies for medical research. And you think I'm going to come there and I'm going to be treated like, uh, you know, Sally Sue? No. I'm just not. No. Henrietta Lacks can tell you that. Absolutely. She can tell you that. Take what they can get from you. Yeah, and so it's, 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 a, it's a tough situation to be in, being on that side as a provider, being on having lived on this other side as the, as the patient, and then also having traversed the middle of it as, as, a, as, a, as a nurse, kind of taking a peek into seeing what, what's going on and then delving further, like, wait a minute, hold on, this ain't right. So part of me getting out here and just like being on these internets and, and being, you know, how, how I normally is, how I normally am is just like part of it is, part of it is um, I'm not going to let my office day confine the work that I can do. Right. You don't need to come in and check in to see me. I'm sitting here giving you all this information for black ass free. Okay. When I talk about, you know, things about like uh, recurrent bacterial vaginosis, um, and talk about, you know, the reasons why that could be happening, ways to curtail it. You know, you may not learn this in, the, in, your, in your doctor's office. They may not have time to talk to you about the reasons why these things are happening and then they're cyclic. Right. I'm here. Let me, let, look, I'll tell you why. Because it's going to save me time. Because I come into my office and I'm speaking to, the, speaking to women who have this situation. And I'm like, so look, 
peak game <laughs> when he's spraying you down with his toxic ass come and you're throwing off your ph balance or you're doing this or you're doing that these are the reasons why and so that's why i use kind of like the platform of like dr midwife to kind of disseminate this information from my unique valid perspective you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely let's talk about like the granny midwives i remember like reading about them and and learning different things about those women. And a lot of times they had like one or no kids at all. And to hear you as a midwife with four children, I'm like, that's such a big difference, a big change over time um, in how the system works, how you're able to, you know, work your family into your work as well, you know? And that's something that they didn't really have the, um, it's almost like the privilege to do, you know? Right. Facts. Working steady around the clock. <laughs> exactly. Or go grab, you know, go grab Miss Sarah Eddins. You know what I'm saying? This one's having a baby, yeah. you know? But, but um, bringing, bringing that, that was the critical error. That was a critical error. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we really disturbed such a basic physiologic process. And when I say that, don't, I don't want anyone to ever get me wrong in thinking that there's not a place and a space for medical obstetrics. Mm -hmm. Don't even trip. I am not nowhere thinking, saying, or insinuating that. What I'm saying is the, in most cases, in most cases, we don't need to tamper with a process that does not need tampering with. Right. Period. We just don't. <laughs> We just don't. That's it. That's it. So when you think about this first birth experience with Jasmine, and you think of like that immediate postpartum time in the hospital as well as at home, could you briefly describe that for you? So Jazz was born at the end of August. <clears throat> School started at the beginning of September. Mm. So I left my baby really early really early and went back to school mm -hmm. and I was breastfeeding at the time I tried the best that I could I did know breastfeeding was the best thing I knew that I was wanted to breastfeed my baby um you know and and I and I tried but you know going to school and then at that time being a senior um, there was no space in the day for pumping my breasts. <laughs> and right. as a mom, a new mom, you know, I'm going to need a minute to kind of process this. I understand. Hmm. I don't know. I've never really processed work through no shit like this. It's kind of crazy. No, this is, this is the work. I guess when you're in it, you look for like a savior. You know, when you're in an abusive situation, you look for somebody to come and save you. Mm -hmm. And there was nobody to save me. And then to come in as a high school senior, and I got my baby, but I got my baby in the same fucked up situation. Just I'm living there now with my baby. 
I think about moms like kind of running home from work in the postpartum, like they, after 12 weeks. That first time going back to work, it was fucking tragic. Mm. It's tragic. Whether you got time to breast pump or whether you, whether you don't, that postpartum shit is fucking sick. Mm-hmm. So to think that I did that shit as a high school senior by myself, in that situation, like, I don't even know how the fuck I got here. How'd I even make it, yo? I don't even know. It's just wild. So, excuse me. That caught me off guard because I see moms struggling so hard now with full support systems, full access to insurance, fully knowledgeable, fully with a vehicle can drive from A to B. Fully with a job, struggling. We expect teenagers and women with less, poor women, single women, mm-hmm. to do this shit? Shit. Shit ain't right. Y'all know the system out here is fucked up. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go find me some tissue. It's all right. Just sit with it. It's all right. It's just wild when you think about it, but this shit, ain't, ain't not, not a lot changed, but I'm not going to be part of that system no more. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be part of that system no more. Like when I first came in and started seeing women on the postpartum visits, they come in six weeks postpartum when they already fucking twirling down the drain. They already, twir- you know, they already barely holding on. Yeah, and you land about my schedule and tell me in 15 minutes I'm supposed to do some shit. When this woman is barely holding on, full-ass grown woman, I see the signs, not only because I lived it, mm-hmm. not only that. Okay, we talking 21 fucking years ago, and that shit still is like mm-hmm. crazy. So mm-hmm. not only because I see the signs, but I know because I, I live them, mm-hmm. and then I see them constantly. It's just infuriating to work under this corporate guise of providing bullshit postpartum care to women, obstetric care at baseline. It's a disservice to humanity, mm. the shit they make us do for the right. coin. It's just not worth it. Your right. dignity as a human being. Right. They have you take the, the postnatal um, surveys. And nobody even talks to you, talks you through, and they just hand you the paper. Let me tell you something. (laughs) I knew, at least I had the wherewithal. Okay, now, later on, I understand, because once you've had postpartum depression, right, I know you're at risk. I didn't know that back then. Mm -hmm. Subsequent pregnancies. But I knew. And as I got older, because, you know, um, having a kid at 16 and at 20, that's different. 27, 28, your life is different. You in a different space and time and you got access to different shit. Let me tell you something about that raggedy ass postpartum quiz. I had the wherewithal to know I'm struggling and couldn't say the words for my baby was that fourth baby that I went there and I made sure I marked all the things fucked up. Ain't nobody calculated that. They would have hauled my ass off. Mm. They would haul my ass off. That was me being like, help, please help. Please help me. Because I don't have the words. 
that's my flaw. Maybe I, like I said, I, maybe I'd just be looking for rescuing. I'd be like throwing up signs, like, please somebody see that shit <laughs> back then. You know what I'm saying? That was when I was 27. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm in a different space now. You know what I mean? But was that a question? I don't know. <laughs> no, absolutely. Cause then it comes into that, you know, being a strong woman, being a strong black woman. Like we can fill out, we, we, it's not necessarily that you're waiting for somebody to rescue you maybe, but even just to just see you, like you see me, we're humans. If you look into another human's eyes, you see them. You can't hide a single thing from your eyes, period. And it's just so, don't ever forget that there's a whole population of, of people out here and I've had to sit with it. I've had to sit with it like, okay, Steph, you know what? There's a whole population of people out here that will dead ass look you in your eyes and keep the fuck on going. And I've had to sit with that and say, you know what, Stephanie, I, I over, I'm overly compassionate to a fault that I hate that shit. Like I'm, I'm empathetic to the point where I want to, I need to disconnect because I feel that at such a deep level, mm -hmm. I feel people's hurt. I feel people's joy. I feel people's elatement. But that shit is, is very, I feel all, all pieces of that. And I've had to sit with the fact that, you know what? Everybody ain't like that. There's really some people that can look at children in cages on the border and just, it don't do shit to them. It don't move their soul. It don't do shit to them. It's like, well, their mama could have, should have did what? I, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe some of the shit I see. And I'm like, surely we can see the inhumanity. The enraged. Who else is enraged? And I look to the left and the right and I'm like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> there were really people who were just not enraged. No. I, I, I've had to sit with that. I've had to really digest that. Like, wow. Remember I told you, they were dogs. That, okay. <laughs> So. <laughs> but even in that we have to think about like, when we think about like um like post slavery syndromes and things like that you have to remember that these people that were enslaving other humans they're coming from the same bloodline you know and what i will say what i will say is that there's a whole lot of ancestors all over the place and some of them is talking to their white little uh, nephews, nieces, granddad, like, listen, I hate to put this on your soul, but we fucked up and you need to make it right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that. I know that for a fact. And there's a lot of ancestors sitting on my back and on my shoulders saying, these are the things that need to happen for, to make, to set, set the future correct. Mm -hmm. You know, so I will never underestimate the value of an ally. They've got to do this shit. Absolutely. They have to do this, this work in order to, uh, reparations just ain't about, hard, you know, hard facts here and now, dollars for mules and 40 acres and whatever. That's not exactly what it's about. It's about the, the cleansing of a, of, a, of a bloodline of badness that was done unto one people from one people. So when you make reparations, you have to offset that. You have to be, you have to go out of your way to try and find some leverage in some fucked up way that your ancestors did to repress a people. So what are the work you, you doing? Mm -hmm. And I won't undervalue uh, the work of an ally and the voice where they can, where there are not any voices. 
right. the places where they hold privilege or where they hold a voice that 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 can do things. Mm-hmm. You better rect- you better rectify your ancestors' wrongs mm-hmm. and do the right thing now. Right. If that makes sense. It makes sense. So, Dr. Mitchell, when did Dr. Midwife come about? And what's kind of the mission behind your social media presence? We talked about it a little bit, um, just in you wanting to make sure you're sharing all the things. But where did you really just say, this is what I'm doing with my privilege, my my skill set? Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I grew up in a situation where it was like very, I had to traverse black worlds and white worlds. I, I lived in a very black space. I went to a very white space school and I continued that all the way on up through college, undergrad. Um, I, I've worked in all pretty much predominantly white spaces. I've had to curtail what I say. I have, I've had to dumb down what I can do. I've had to not say when I can't, you know, I've had to do a lot of things. I've had to do a lot of things that um, should not be done. I feel anytime there's a macro or microaggression in in healthcare that affects a whole population of people, it is my responsibility to step up. But sometimes we're in a position in life or in space or whatever where we can't talk. We can't. We we, we either are are, uh, worried about the the our job security. We are worried about what people will think about us. We are worried what people will say. We're worried what people won't, if won't agree with us. And I've come to a space where, to put it simply, I mean, in the most simple basic form is I, you already know. I don't give a fuck, right? You already know that. That's the most basic level. And we could break down fragments of I don't give a fuckness on the reasons why that I no longer curtail myself to make, um, not just like, uh, I don't curtail myself to, to make anyone uh, comfortable anymore. Because the shit that we've had to go through has been uncomfortable. And so when you feel uncomfortable, I'm sorry that you feel like that. I'm sorry that you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with, 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 with either me being in the space that I am and having to, you know, uh, delegate unto you. I'm sorry you don't like that. I'm sorry you're not used to that. Right. I'm not going to curtail myself because you have a level of uncomfortability, won't do it. Mm-hmm. And so when I get out here on these damn internets, okay, know that I'm not allowing none of this fuck shit, nothing. I don't care if you don't like what I say. What it is is 100% valid. No one's going to take that experience. Mm-hmm. No one's going to say, well, actually, and even if they do, again, you know my mantra, da 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 I don't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. My, va- my experience and walked existence is valid. You can't take that away from me. You won't, you, you won't, you know, I'm coming from a unique standpoint that so many people share and don't have that privilege to speak up and be like, let me tell you the bullshit that happened, but I will. Yeah. What you going to do? Take it. I mean, but what, you, what, what you, what you really going to do? Is it going to end my soul and my life? Are you going to crush me? Is that what you want to do? Like, what are you really, people are just really concerned about that portion of it. And I, when I let it go and I gave it up to the universe and I'm like, no, I'm just going to be my regular old self. That's when, that's when Dr. Midwife was born. Mm. Cause I've had to live in a filter for so long and it's been detrimental. And now we're in a crisis. Mm. Now we're in a crisis. So I'm not doing it no more. 
I'm not doing it anymore. So hope other people join me. And you don't have to be a midwife. You can be an engineer. You can work it. You could you you could work in retail. You could be a journalist. You could you could, you you could we work in media. We don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to live under this guise of it's okay and we'll dance around shit that's uncomfortable. We don't need to do it. We don't. I won't. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners, whether it be resources or particular advice? Um, a lot of the women, the people who listen to birth stories in color have either already experienced different pregnancies and just go across the gamut or are actually pregnant currently and want to hear stories and have better understanding. Is there anything you would want to share with them? I want to say that um, when I talked about the inaugural birth, if you've had an inaugural birth experience that wasn't positive, I would encourage you to do the work now um, and understand also that that doesn't need to be a, a repetitive situation that does not need to repeat itself. Um, you can do things to make that experience a, a different one. Um, I want to also say that Thank goodness we are in the world of Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube. Don't sit out here and live in a guise of, of ignorance. Don't do it. You can arm yourselves with whatever information you want. You pl it takes nothing but a 2.2 second search. I encourage y'all to get out there and find out. Find out some information. Find providers that you trust. Get yourself a doula. Invest in that. Invest in that. You need that. That's what I advise people to do. Get out there and invest in this. So find a provider you trust. Ask them one question. Ask them one question and see what the answer is. Mm -hmm. What do you think about me getting a doula for, for, for labor? See what the answer is. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't need one. Oh, it's a waste of money. Oh, they all, you, you know, the, just, just find out. Just find out what the answer is. Because you can base that on whether or not you need to continue or tap the fuck out right now. That's, That's my advice. Question. Ask that one question. It will definitely open up a conversation. That's for sure. Like, oh, okay. That's it. So, so there's not one particular piece of advice or a person. Of course, I want to say, yes, um, I, as a midwife in the office, I, I guide you towards information. I'm just the hub. I'm just the hub. I'm not an expert in all things. You have a pelvic floor dysfunction. I could identify that. And I'll send you off to where you need to go. You're having postpartum depression. I can identify that. Send you off to fucking where you need to go. You're having this problem or that problem. Although I cannot fix all of the problems, I'll find somebody who will fix it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So do that electronically too. Come on. I would encourage everybody. Come on down. If you can learn something or uh, then you have made a success of your day. Learn one thing a day. That's for free. You could do that for free. You don't have to pay for that. You don't have to. It's, it's out here for you to grab, and you don't have to wait for Juneteenth to be set free. You could be set free today. Get on these internets. Do some research. It's at your fingertips. It's all, and, it, and we are empowering each other by sharing this information. Absolutely. So, amen. Hope y'all do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for being with us today.
And for our listeners, if you found that you connected to any parts of today's show, you are interested in any more stories, please subscribe and let us know what you think. You can also complete a birth story submission at birthstoriesincolor.com. Thanks again for listening and joining our community. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. There is no perfect pregnancy, birth, or parent, and yet we rarely hear the real stories. It's time we speak up. Mom, actress, and advocate Tatiana Ali hosts Unspoken Stories, a new podcast from March of Dimes featuring real stories from the joys of parenthood to what happens when things don't go according to plan. You can listen to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting unspokenstories.org. We see a lot of perfect images of pregnancy, birth, and parenting, but more and more people are standing up to tell their real stories. In this podcast, you will hear some of those real stories. From the joy of parenting and the complexities of dealing with illness with and mom, Jamie Lynn Sigler, a mom coping with loss and raising two toddlers, to the realities of parenting a baby born prematurely. These brave mom and dads have the courage to speak up and share their laughter, tears, and triumphs so that no one else has to feel alone in their experience. We hope you will join this important conversation. Whether you are a parent or considering becoming one, subscribe to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts and learn more by visiting unspokenstories.org. That's unspokenstories.org.